number 160. This is Greg Duncan. This is Josh Carver. It's Mickey Gousset! And it's Dylan Smith. Woohoo! We're actually going to record this, right? This is actually going to record. We're actually going to get this out? Yes, we are. This okay. is only the third time we've tried, I believe. <laughs> So, Mickey, man, it's been like a million years since... It hasn't been a million years. It may have been maybe 18 months. Epic? It it could have been the thousandth episode or 100th episode, whatever it was. (laughs) Well, we know you were there because we have the picture. We did that at the studio. Exactly. So we have proof. So, Mickey, there is big news for you. What's the big news? There is big news for me. I'm about to have my Broadway debut. (laughs) (laughs) I have have joined Microsoft as of three days ago. I have finally achieving my dream of working for Microsoft. I am going to be working on the DevOps customer advisory team and being able to get back to my developer and ALM roots, and I can't be more excited. Awesome, man. Congratulations. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, congrats. That's awesome. It is. So it what is, are you actually going to be doing? Uh, I am going to be helping customers um, get started with their DevOps transformations. But I'll save a lot of what we're going to be doing for our special guest of the show because he is the guy that actually started this team. <laughs> awesome. I'm very excited to have Mickey on board. How much did he bribe you? There may have been a few drinks at MVP Summit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and Martin Woodward says hi to everyone on the call. Awesome. Wonderful. And on the show, everybody misses Martin. He's a little busy. <laughs> excuses, excuses. So, uh, Josh... Uh, listeners, this is actually, we're, we've been a big break. Uh, this is episode number 160. This is our second episode number 160. We recorded a 160 a few weeks ago, and Zencaster ate it. We tried to recover. It was horrible. It was ugly. So it is now forever known as the loss episode. Josh shared with us on that episode some of his news about his new role. Yeah. Since that is the loss episode, Josh, what's your new, new-ish or no longer new but kind of new for our listeners role? Well, I'm going to be the executive producer of Mickey's Broadway debut. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I've I've taken a new position within uh, my company, and I'm going to be doing um, engagements with lines of business within the company to help them with their DevOps and cloud transformations to help the company achieve its goals of of getting everyone into the cloud. So you're kind of a mini Mickey? You could say that. Mini comma Mickey. (laughs) Nice. Something else that you mentioned that's new for you that you're working on. Yes. Uh, so I finally got the manuscript done for my book, and I'm uh, going through revisions and all that good stuff. It's due out in November. It's called Migrating to Azure. If you're interested, hop on over to apress.com, search for Migrating to Azure, or search for my name. Um, you should be able to, to find a, a little placeholder out there for it. And I'm I'm really excited. It's been a, a long time in the works, and um, I'm looking forward to actually seeing it get out there and hopefully getting some good reviews. What's the book about? I'm beyond migrating to Azure. Sorry. <laughs> How dare you, sir? <laughs> Is it like a recipe book? Is it a high-level book? Um... It, it's more along the lines of, of taking taking someone who's had a fair amount of developer experience and starting them on the path of more uh, solution architecture, right? So understanding what the different um, areas of architecture are within you know the platform that you're looking at, What's the, what are the business requirements? What are the business drivers that actually make the system important? Um, looking at things like disaster recovery, business continuity, um, operating models, 
looking at um, choosing components, how, what's, what are some of the different ways that you can gather information to help you choose the right components and the right level of components, uh, things like that. So it, it should be hopefully a comprehensive and high to mid-level flight through the migration process. Is it targeted at the developer? Is it targeted at the IT guy, targeted at the DevOps guy? It's more targeted at um, your your IT pro, your your developer, and your DevOps. So kind of the, the whole gang. There's stuff for everybody in there. And, and listeners, I apologize. We had just this year an unconscious bias with Anna Russo and talking about that. And, and I did it right there. Guy. IT guy, dev guy. Yeah, I apologize. You know, shouldn't be doing that. IT team member. IT, uh, the developer team member. Um. And the reason why I'm asking you all that, Josh, is because we're on that. We are looking at spinning up some Azure stuff and not necessarily migrating it, but integrating with it. I, I may be uh, sharing your book with my team. Excellent. Well, if, if you need any, any uh, in-person hands-on support, I can probably cut you a little deal. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. And we'll have you, you'll, we'll definitely, you know, talk more about that as that book progresses because i'm really interested i've never written a written a book like that so is this your first book it is is it your last book most likely <laughs> we all say that yeah right <laughs> all right well my news is I, i've got two items first i promised everybody in the last show that uh, we my team my business my company we were on tfs still 2017.3 and after the show we were going to migrate doing the high fidelity migration to vsts and i was going to give everybody an update and and we migrated. We migrated successfully. We've been on it now for a number of weeks. Uh, and my people are extremely excited. It just, it actually pretty much just worked. And that was amazing. There was only a couple hiccups. Uh, one thing, if you're doing a high fidelity migration, do a dry run and check your users and check what their license levels are. We had a couple issues where, you know, we had their accounts, they're all set up on TFS, they migrated over, but there was a hiccup in their MSDN license or Visual Studio subscription license, so they came over as a stakeholder. So when you do the dry runs, don't just see if they get listed, double check their license levels, find out what access level that they have. Um, and the other one is your build queues. Uh, you will very likely, while your builds and releases will get migrated, you will very likely have to recreate all of your queues and reassociate your builds and releases to those queues if they are anything but the default queue. The default queue on your TFS, migrate over to VSTS, the default queue and everything will be set up perfectly over there. But if you have other additional queues, those are the ones you may have to go out and touch your builds and releases for. But beyond that, uh, it, it's been outstanding and i love all the new features i love having the shiniest bits oh that's so awesome <laughs> yeah and the license licensing thing is a common kind of gotcha it's because tfs on-prem is is the honor system you say yeah. these hundred people have vs enterprise <laughs> all right they get all the features but vsts actually checks so yeah a lot of times there'll be customers and users where their msdn isn't linked properly or isn't linked to the right account yep yeah a common gotcha yeah, that, that bit us. The MSDN and, and using the, the not linked right account. That, that was the big one that got us. And listeners, you know, the way you can really check that, go to the website and see if the code 
uh, tab appears. If they, if they don't see the code tab, because my users, they didn't, they were in Visual Studio and they're saying, I'm connected, but the source code is empty or it says unconnected or I can't see any history. Go, just go to the website and see if they see code. If yes. you see it, they're probably good. If they can't see it, then double check their license and their access levels. My last bit of news, I got a hats off to my kid, my son, who is in his uh, third year of an ROTC program. He's off for the summer. He's out at Fort Knox, Kentucky for five weeks at the advanced camp. And then he's going to be three weeks in Hawaii, unfortunately, all out in the field, getting rained on and stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, hats off to Jacob. He's, he's joining the real army and it's getting a little weird because next year when he leaves this time, he'll be gone, gone for five years as a lieutenant wow. in the army. Oh my gosh. Well, congratulations, yeah. Jacob. Woohoo! <laughs> well done. He is the man. All right. So, I guess, let's see, where are we? We're about 10 minutes in, and we can actually start the show. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, as you've, listeners, as you've heard, Dylan Smith has joined us for the show. Who is Mr. Smith? Mr. Smith was a Microsoft MVP, ALM, and DevOps consultant for many years before joining Microsoft to build the DevOps customer advisory team. He now works with Microsoft's largest customers to help them accelerate their DevOps journey. Dylan, double-double welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. So how, how do you, how does somebody join Microsoft and build a team like that? How does that? Yeah, well, I mean, me as with a lot of like the ALM MVPs I talked to, we always kind of had this thought in our head that eventually we're probably going to end up at Microsoft. <laughs> and, uh, you know, for me, it's just a matter of the, the right role. I'm, I'm too far in my career to join as a developer anymore. And do I want to be a product owner or manager? And, uh, you know, one day Sam Guggenheimer just reached out to me and, and told me about this team that they were building, and he thought that I'd be a great fit, and it was just too perfect to turn down. So it's ba- how? Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, it's, I mean, the team is basically it's. It, I mean, it's it's kind of similar to what I was doing in my old job as a DevOps consultant. Uh, only we're no longer billable, but I mean, we're working with Microsoft's biggest, most strategic customers. We're kind of quasi part of the VSDS product group, uh, but we're customer facing and, and we're just helping them do stuff with VSDS. And I like the fact that I'm still able to engage with customers. I, uh, you know, that's always one of the most enjoyable parts of my job. How big is the team? Uh, right now we're, we're five people. Mickey, obviously, is our fifth mem, fifth and newest member. Um, so far, um, all of us are ex-ALM MVPs, <laughs> so we all pretty much know each other. Um, yeah, so like like Paul Hacker, uh, actually before I joined Microsoft, I worked uh, for a company called Imaginet, a consulting company. And what's interesting is, so Paul Hacker, who's on my team now, he worked with me for a while at Imaginet. Um, also, Donovan Brown and Abel Wang both worked with me at Imaginet. That's awesome. Yeah, so we go we go back pretty far. Oh, 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 I'm going to beat you up on that though a little bit because I worked with Paul Hacker, Donovan Brown, and Abel Wang at Notion Solutions. Well, imagine I bought Notion. Yes, I know, but I'm just saying I knew him. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, I didn't even realize you worked at Notion. I didn't know that. I did. I worked at Notion from 2006 to 2009. That would have been just before my time. I joined right when Imagine I bought it. Excellent. Very cool. It is It is a small world. Yeah. Yeah. People, we would always joke that Imagine it's kind of the farm team for Microsoft DevOps. And I'm sure Imagine it just hates that. <laughs> so let's talk about the elephant in the room. What is happening with Microsoft in that DevOps world? And that's the elephant in the room? I assume when you say elephant in the room, we're talking about GitHub. Yep. Exciting news. Very exciting. Um, I would... So, Listeners, in case you in case you haven't heard, um, on Monday Microsoft announced that they are uh, going to purchase GitHub 
for $7.5 billion. And since then, the open source and ALM and DevOps world basically has exploded, or at least the feedback or thinking on this has, has exploded, with a million good comments and a million people wondering comments. Let's... I, what do you guys think? You know, uh, should, is there any, what's the downside for the developers, for the public, for people who are using GitHub or VSTS? Is there like, is, what do you think the downside is? Well, I'll say one thing I see, and I've been, I've been following the comments, you know, pretty closely on Ars Technica or Hacker News, you know, it's trying to see what people's reactions are. And, uh, I, I'd say I see more, more positive than negative, which is, which is great to see. Um, the, the, the negative ones, well, just the typical anti-Microsoft sentiment, which I think is outdated. Um, but I think a lot of, I see a lot of people pointing to CodePlex, right? And we didn't really handle CodePlex too well. We kind of let it languish and eventually die off. I see people, you know, is the same thing going to happen with GitHub? And obviously I don't, I don't believe so. I sincerely hope that doesn't happen. And, you know, I've heard some of the plans that we have and I, uh, it's very exciting. And I, uh, everything I've heard, um, internally and externally, um, when we talk about like what the, what our priorities are uh, now that we have GitHub, or actually we don't actually um, have it until the end of the year, um, top top of mind, top priority is building trust with the community. Uh, nobody's really talking about what features do we add, what features do we kill. There's there's some overlap, obviously, with VSTS. Um, I'm sure there'll be some talk about that at some point, but top of mind, number one priority is 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 getting the GitHub community to to trust us and to build that trust. I, I agree with you, and and. I only know what's been I've read in the news since I just you know started three days ago, and it's. I, but I don't think there's a for me. I live in a Pollyanna world, and so you'll learn this about me if you ever get to really know me. I always look at the glass half full. I don't see it necessarily as a bad thing. I mean, if from what I remember, Microsoft was actually one of the largest contributors to projects on GitHub, if I remember that correctly. Yeah. And. And micro, it's a, it's a new, you know, my, you hear this a lot, but it's a new <laughs> world with Microsoft now, especially with open source and w- with all the other stuff they're doing. So I, I can't see where it's going to be a bad thing, in my opinion. Josh, what do you think? I'm in the same boat. I, I really don't see it being a bad thing. And a lot of people were almost, you know, waxing nostalgic about the the good old days of when GitHub was, you know, independent and and fierce and all of this stuff. And I mean, I I understand that at the same time, you know, you you get to a certain point where um, you you get to a certain size and you you either make money or you don't. And um, having the ability to have someone like Microsoft come in and help out when, when they need it, I think that's awesome. And, much much akin to the other comments that are out there. I mean, this isn't your daddy's Microsoft, right? I mean, the the, the mantra, the approach, the embracing of open source, both from a code and culture standpoint, is just it's phenomenal. And um, the biggest thing for me is going to be what the plans are over the next few months as as details start to come out and with direction on what's going to happen. That'll really be for me the spot that'll be telling. I agree too. I, the the downside, the only downside that I see of this is if Microsoft hadn't bought, you know, based on what I'm reading, you know, GitHub was uh, bleeding cash, and you know they were, couldn't find. They've been searching for a CEO for forever, and you know, uh, going for another a VC um, capitalization or an IPO. Don't know if that would have been, happened, and if that didn't happen, you know, an acquisition is pretty much the only way that they would get. Uh, be able to survive and 
you know, who else could do a $7.5 billion acquisition for a, you know, company like GitHub? You know, I mean, can you imagine if Apple bought them or, you know, that, that would be weird or even, you know, Amazon, that would be a strange kind of thing. And then, you know, I, yeah, the people that are, I think, hating on it are those that don't realize exactly what you said, Josh, is they remember the old Microsoft. They don't remember, you know, the new, the Satya Nadella Microsoft. You know, the fact that I can run, what is it, five different Linux desktops on my Windows 10 machine, that should show up right there how different it is, let alone, you know, the the number of, like you were, you were saying, Mickey, the number of contributions to open source projects that Microsoft has done on GitHub. Yeah, is, is it a, go ahead. There's been a huge shift in the last few years. More and more open source at Microsoft. Visual Studio Code.NET Framework. Yeah. All of the Visual Studio Code, I think, is one of the most popular open source projects out there. And they're all run on GitHub. And they're run for real. Yeah. As real open source. Not this is source available, the old way Microsoft would release the source code for projects. No, they're real taking community PRs. Uh, handling issues, ha- having stand-ups, public stand-ups, um, and calls and such. I, I, they're doing it for real. You know, guys, if you're listening and, you know, you're scratching your head and, and you laugh about the clippy comment, hey, it looks like you have a merge request. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's old Microsoft. I, I, I think, don't worry. Don't panic. Maybe that should be the title of the show. Don't panic. Um, yeah, I and saw also, yeah, and I'll probably get in trouble. I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, but. Um, I'm going to say it anyways. I, I think some of it boils down to kind of being a technology hipster, you know, not wanting the big corporation or the man to, to own your code. And I use the man in quotations referring to um, the oppressive nature of larger corporations. And uh, you can philosophically debate that amongst yourselves if you'd like. But um, a lot of it, you know, people are just bailing, going to GitLab and things like that. And it's really for no other reason that, that, the, the names involved in, in the purchase and the acquisition. And I don't know. I, I think that you need to evaluate your decisions a little bit more before you go doing stuff like that. Another way I think you know that that GitHub's going to be in pretty good hands is by the person that Microsoft's putting in charge as CEO. <laughs> yeah. Very so true. That, Mickey? Uh, I, I always mispronounce his name. I think it's, it's either – I think it's Nat Friedman. Yep. Uh, so – and he is – um. You know, he was one of the guys that helped that was started Xamarin and then, you know, Xamarin was ultimately bought by Microsoft and he was recently put in charge of the VSTS aspect of things. So I, I and I had the chance to meet him back in March and I, I just honestly think he is going to definitely and that's my catch here in the background, but that he is definitely going to be able to continue to push GitHub in the right direction. Yeah, and I and I, you know, I report report up to Nat ever since I joined Microsoft, and he's just an incredibly smart guy. And it's it's interesting, you know, when you compare him. He took over for Brian Harry, right? And we've all known Brian Harry for a long time. And it's interesting. Nat is Nat is very different than Brian Harry. Brian Harry is a very technical person, but you can tell at his heart he's a developer and he understands technology very deeply. Uh, and Nat is too. But where Brian Harry tends to focus on technical stuff, Nat. Nat focuses on business stuff, and he asks really smart questions, but they're very different types of questions. Uh, <coughs> I think part of that is probably he comes from Silicon Valley, right? The startup, and he started a startup and sold it for oodles of money to Microsoft. So I think I think GitHub's going to be in very good hands. Now I he's going to be CEO of GitHub, 
And he's still going to be a corporate vice president and is still in charge of the VSTS and TFS side of the house. Can't uh, I, That worried me because that seems like an awful lot of work. Is that are there enough people in the organization that he can be that visionary that asking the questions and delegate, you know? I think a lot of it's going to come down to, you know, kind of the quality and caliber of his lieutenants underneath him, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't, I don't know about GitHub, uh, but I do know for VSTS, right, we got a lot of very competent people, his, his lieutenants, um, that can help drive it forward and kind of, so he can delegate a lot of responsibility away. You know, Lori Lamkin, Buck Hodges, Munil Shaw. So I, I think, I think that's, you know, how he's going to be able to tackle such a big scope. Cool. The other side of the coin, I was worrying about, jam. that sounds like a lot of work. Having that single guy at the top of both of those organizations also makes a great deal of sense. Can you imagine the chaos if there were two different people based and competing and, and having that single visionary at the top? While it's got to be really hard for him, uh, I in the end, I I dig that decision. Mickey, what do you think? I, I think I think it's going to be a good thing, and I agree with what Dylan said. It's gonna he's gonna obviously need to have a good support team underneath him. To be able to to be able to to manage both worlds, but based off of like I said, the my chance to meet him and interact with him back in March, I, I think he is the the man for the job at this point. And, and look at the 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 messaging on that move, making him the CEO of GitHub. It's not saying that GitHub will be joining the you know this part of the Microsoft organization and be reporting up that way. No, you know he's going to be the CEO of GitHub. Yeah, I love that messaging. And when I see some of the reactions too on the internet, so, um, uh, something people point out is in the past. Um, Microsoft has had some not so good acquisitions like Nokia, right? That probably didn't go so well. But there's been some more recent ones where we've kind of treated them differently and they've been very successful. And the examples people point out is uh, LinkedIn and Minecraft, uh, both of which uh, are run as separate companies from Microsoft. Um, and my understanding is that we're going to treat the GitHub thing in a, in a similar way. So... Here's one thing, you know, as I make these shows very uh, personal to me, we're, as I already mentioned, we're moving, uh, we moved to VSTS, and now we're going to start moving to some Git uh, repositories. Give us, a, Dylan, can you give us just a quick refresher on what Git is? Uh, source control system, right? Decentralized versus centralized, but, I mean, ultimately, way to just store and manage and version your source control. But I, I think where, what you're really getting at is when you, you're, you're probably a TFBC user, I'm, I'm guessing mm-hmm. historically, right? Yeah. So I, what, you're, what you're probably driving is, you know, should I be using Git or TFBC and why should I be using Git if that's the answer? Yes. So um, I, I work with uh, customers that struggle with this all the time and I usually, I usually make three points. Um, number one, Git is um, you can just do some more powerful things than you can do with, say, TFBC. Uh, things around uh, bursh- uh, uh, branching and merging and, and, and rebasing and squashing and, and all that cool stuff is just extra power that you didn't have. But out of the three reasons, I think that's the less, less meaningful one. Uh, another reason is uh, Git is just becoming more popular. It's kind of run uh, won the source control wars. And, and I value popularity. I want my team to be using the technology that is the most popular one in the industry. It means that when we hire people, they probably know it. They probably like it. They want to work in Git. Uh, so I want to be where the industry is at. Um, but the third and probably most important reason is uh, pull requests. Pull requests just enable an incredible developer workflow uh, that you just don't get the same thing in, in TFBC. You know, the ability. 
Can you go into that more? Yeah. Why does that, what is that? And, and why is that so different? Yeah. Well, especially so in the VSTS team, our kind of branching model is what's called trunk based development, which is getting more and more popular. I, I, I'm seeing it in the industry, right? Where instead of doing all these feature branches in a complex branching model, everybody kind of conceptually works out of master, works out of the same branch. Um, and the challenge with doing that is if everybody's working out of the same branch, you need some way to keep that branch clean. If you just throw your whole team all on the same branch, the branch will probably be perpetually broken unless you don't have some controls in place. And pull requests give us the, the ability to have those controls. Every change that goes into master has to go through a pull request, uh, which means the developer kind of submits these changes. I want these changes to go into master. And then you can have policies around that. Hey, we need at least one or two people to review it. Depending on the files changed, the specific team has to review it. If you change the authentication code, somebody from the security team has to review it. A build gets run on it. That build has to pass. The test has to pass. You can set up all these policies, all these things. Uh, boxes have to be ticked. And you do that through the pull request uh, before we allow that code to get in. Whereas in, in TFBC, if you wanted to do code reviews, it was kind of painful. You have a choice. Do you want to do it um, uh, kind of pre-check-in or, or post-check-in? And if it's pre-check-in, you got to kind of do the shelf set and ask somebody to review it, and it's painful. If it's post-check-in, well, now you're potentially checking in broken stuff that you don't discover till after the fact. Um, so the pull request is just like the, the killer feature for Git. Now, having been in this industry for a while and, and seen you know, my first beyond using zips, my first version control was Microsoft Delta. So, you know, that, that tells you how long I've been using version control and crud. Never even heard of it. Oh uh, yeah, that was, that I've was, been there. Was one, yeah, one version of it before uh, source safe. All right. Source safe is where my history starts. So, but so it always concerns me when it's, you know, well, that's what everybody is interested in and that's what everybody is doing because there's always so many shinies. Every developer has seen that. You guys have all seen it. This is the shiny. Oh, you know, source safe, then SVN, and then, you know, TFS, and now, you know, Git. There are, but I think Git, I think where we are now in the industry and how many people are using Git. I, I honestly think it's probably going to be a standard for a while. I don't see there being a new shiny in three years that we're suddenly going to um, all want to move to. Yeah, you say new shiny, and it's a negative connotation there, but I, th I do value, like I said, I value popularity. And the fact that Git has this critical mass and like kind of everybody's using it um, is, is valuable. It means there's a whole ecosystem of tools that work with Git because that's what everybody's using. It means that there's a lot of knowledge out there on Stack Overflow on how to do stuff with Git because that's what everybody's using. And to me, one of the things I really like about Git that, I, that, that I've suffered with with Team Foundation version control is the ability to work offline. That that's just, you know, ability to be able to work on a plane or wherever and not have to be connected to the to a centralized server is just can make me infinitely more productive. Now that Mickey, I want you I want you to go into a little bit more detail and explain that. Why is that different than local workspaces that came in, I don't know, was it 2013, 2015 TFS? Oh, that's not fair to ask me. You can edit this part out because I'm gonna punt that question back to one of y'all. <laughs> okay, well then he, let me let me <laughs> You know, one of the big differences, as I understand it, it took me the longest time to truly grok this. And we have past shows. Longtime listeners, you guys know that. I used to say, oh, 
you know, TFS is getting, you know, Git-like features with the local workspaces versus uh, server-based workspaces. And then Martin beat me about the head and he said, no, Git is fundamentally different. When working offline, you actually have. Git is a distributed yep. version control system. When you clone a repository, when you grab that repository and put it on your machine, you actually get a complete clone of the entire repository. And history. History and everything. Exactly. Everything. All of it. You get the whole thing. You've got, it's almost like you're copying that entire TFS, you know, TFBC, copying it, putting it on your workstation. You get all the history, all, all the comments, all the annotations. You see it all and it's all on your machine. And when your coworker does a clone of the repository, he gets his own copy of the entire repository. So when you're on the airplane, you can actually take your code and commit it to your repository, you know, because you have the entire thing there. Now, I will say this. Merges in Git seem to scare me a little more than they do in Team Foundation version control for some reason, but that's probably just me. Well, there's definitely kind of a higher concept count in Git, so there's a little bit of a learning curve. You, you have more power than TFBC, but there's there's definitely more complexity, too. So you can kind of shoot yourself in the foot a little bit easier if you don't know what's going on. And, you know, I'm really playing when I see that whole shiny thing. I'm playing devil's advocate because you know, Oscar, my partner in crime, will attest to this. I tell everybody that, you know, as a professional developer, you have to learn Git. Honestly, TFBC is great. It's here. It's mature. It's done. But, you know, if you want to stay and be a developer, you have to understand Git. Yeah. Would you guys agree to that statement? I think it's just one of those kind of core technologies. It's just got a huge adoption level in our industry. And if you want to work in our industry as a developer, I, I totally agree. Yes, you, you have to understand Git. And Git, I mean, there's all kind of things you have to understand. Because you have to understand, you know, you've got the local repository. You've got staging areas. You've got, you know, pushing things up. You've got pull requests. I mean, there's a whole, you know, it it. It, it takes a little bit of effort to really grasp what's happening there with Git. Whereas with Team Foundation, whereas at least for me, what I found with TFVC, at least with the tooling wise, it, it hid some things and made it a lot easier to get started with initially. TFVC to me is easier to get started with initially. Git is a little harder to get started with initially, but to me gives you a lot more power long term. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure I, do, I totally agree with that. I think that when you say get started initially, if TFBC was, you know, the first source control system you ever use at a university, um, sure, it's easy to get started. I think, it's, I think it's harder to switch than it is to start new. I think if it's a, a new college grad, the first source control system ever, and they're going to get, I think it's probably easier for them than it Agreed. is for you coming from TFBC. I know, Agreed. I know back in the days, I would help uh, customers go from source safe to TFBC, and that was very hard for them. What do you mean multiple people can check out that file? What do you mean it doesn't automatically do a get latest when I start editing it? <laughs> no, no, th yeah, yeah. thank you, Dylan. That's very, that's very accurate. I think that if I, if Git was my first version control system I was getting introduced to, I would have picked it up a lot faster. I, I do have my TFVC quote baggage, for lack of a better term, that I have to get past. Yep. And what's interesting, and, I don't know if you've talked about like the Microsoft teams adopting Git, like Windows. We're, we're talking a lot about how the Windows team moved to Git, and it's and it's the biggest Git repository on the planet. And how when we tried to do it, Git just couldn't handle 
a code base the size of Windows. So we had to make a bunch of changes to Git. Yeah, I actually told that story to my coworkers too, as well, you know, telling them about the professional, you know, you gotta learn it, that Microsoft is so bought into Git that they took the time to create an entire file system to support repositories the size of Windows. Yeah. And what's interesting is most of Microsoft is on Git. Um, uh, one notable exception is Office team is still not there, and the Office code base is actually bigger than the Windows code base, significantly bigger. Wow, <laughs> really? Yeah, which is as I I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm allowed to share the stats, but I've seen them, and it's <laughs> it's mind-bogglingly huge. Um, and they they would be on Git. Um, the the GBFS thing that we did for the Windows team, uh, obviously Office needs it too because they're even bigger. Um, but they have a lot of people on Macs because there's Office for Mac, and GBFS doesn't yet work on Macs. Okay. So as soon as it does, they're going to be on there too, and they'll be the new biggest Git repository in the world. Yeah, and the GVFS is the Git virtual file system. Yeah, that's the advancement that we created to allow very huge repos to work in Git. So, again, TFBC is not dead, right? Absolutely not. And we have, um, God, I, I'm pretty sure we have more customers on TFBC than we do on Git uh, in, in TFS. Um, so, you know, we, uh, the majority of our customer base is still on it. So it's not going anywhere. And uh, again, for our listeners, if, you know, if you're a line of business developer, you're using TFS or VSTS, uh, you're not using Git, does that mean you suck? No, I don't think so. I mean, use, use what works. Exactly. Yeah. It doesn't suck, guys. Listeners, you know, if you haven't made that move yet, don't, it doesn't mean, you know, here I've, now I'm going back on what I said. If you're a professional developer, you have to learn Git and stuff. But, you know, there are times to learn it and to get up to speed on it. You're checking your code in, right? Okay. You don't suck. <laughs> if your version control is copying zips up to a file share, okay, you suck. But um, if you're checking stuff in, if you're using version control, then you're already a step ahead of the game. But I'm just saying that, you know, if you're going to be in it for a while, start using Git, and there's a lot of free ways you can start playing with. But you, Do it at home as a weekend project. But I, you make I, a very I, good point, Greg. Be using something, because there's I've worked at some bigger companies in my previous history that used, um oh, make a backup folder and just copy your files there. Well, I, I'll tell you a, a horror story. Uh, which will probably make every developer listening feel better about what they do. Um, <laughs> I was working with a customer this is many, many years ago, and um, they were on SourceSafe, and they wanted to move to TFS. And it wasn't that many years ago. SourceSafe was still long since obsolete. Um, but uh, and, and I was going to help them get all their stuff from SourceSafe to, to TFBC. And I guess up until recently, they weren't even using SourceSafe. They were just putting stuff on a file share, copies of the code, like you said. Um, but uh, kind of upper management kind of laid down the law and said, thou shalt use source control for all things. And it was source safe at the time. And the way that they enforced that edict was the people who did the releases to production, they were instructed to not accept anything from file shares. Anything that people ask you to release has to come from source safe. All right. So I got there and I took a look at their source safe repos. And of course, everything that got released was in source safe because that's the only way it gets released. So, so what did it look like when you went into a folder for one of the apps? Um, there was a zip file checked into SourceSafe with all the code for each release with a version number on each one. So every time they wanted to release, they zipped up their code directory and checked in the zip file to SourceSafe. <laughs> Horrifying. Nice. Yes. So it could always be worse. <laughs> Sorry. I was having a hard time wrapping my head around that. <laughs> 
Okay, well, we're about 40 or so minutes into the show, and there's a couple more things. Let's put Git and GitHub aside. Uh, pre-show, Dylan, we, we were talking about one of uh, Donovan's, Donovan Brown's favorite uh, names, DevSecOps. Oh, yeah, he loves that name. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, me and Donovan had talked about this. That name rubs Donovan the wrong way. Uh, and a lot of people, and the, the argument against it is that you don't need to call it DevSecOps. DevOps already includes security. DevOps includes everything needed to release frequently. And and I would agree with that. Absolutely, security is part of DevOps. Uh, I don't mind the term DevSecOps. Uh, I use it when I want to focus the conversation on that particular aspect of DevOps, which is security. Which is, you know, as a developer in a previous life, and even here in previous positions here, uh, yeah, I can see the value of putting that focus on there because a lot of developers, you know, <laughs> security isn't necessarily one of their uh, priority topics. Yeah, and I'm actually um, at a conference today where I just did a talk on DevSecOps right before we were recording this, uh, talking about our experiences on the VSTS team and how we approach security. Yeah, and like a couple months ago, you had a uh, Channel 9 uh, show, right? I did. My good friend Damian Brady talking about the same thing and, you know... Uh, it's interesting because you wouldn't think security is a very exciting topic. It sounds like one of those boring things you don't want to spend any time hearing about security. Who cares? Well, I mean, somebody should care, just not me, right? Um, but uh, and some of us probably like that. But uh, the stories we tell and that I told on the show with Damien at the conference just now um, is we do something called red teaming, uh, where we every quarter or so we have a team we call it the red team. Uh, which is like hacker type people, legit hacker people paired up with senior engineers on the VSTS team. And they try to hack into production VSTS uh, every quarter. And uh, if they're successful, and, you know, the spoiler alert is they are always successful, um, uh, you know, they do a report out and they tell us how did they break in and, and what can we do to fix it. And uh, not only does it help point out the vulnerabilities that we can fix, but it helps kind of hammer home the, the security mindset because all the developers are in that report out. And uh, it really changes the culture. It makes developers care about security because they're living in fear that their code might be up on the screen in that red team report out. <laughs> so, yeah, when I, when I say that I was going to put a disclaimer in there, when I say we do these red teams and the red team always wins, I hope the listeners don't take away that VSDS is incredibly <laughs> insecure. I hope the takeaway is that we care very deeply about security, and that's why we do this. Mickey, what do you think about that, about DevSecOps? Honestly, I, I, I mostly concur with what, what Dylan had to say about it. I'll be completely honest with you. I haven't put that much thought into in, into the conversation. As we talked about pre-show, I, I was I was caught a little off guard with it. So I obviously need to do some research before we record our next radio TFS. <laughs> Luckily, I'm now in a position with my new job where I will be more heavily involved in all of that. Yeah, and I think the um, some of the future of of DevOps stuff, or, or I, I guess where the focus area will be next, is I think security is going to be a really hot topic. I'm seeing a lot of uh, stuff happening inside of Microsoft and uh, with other our competitors and partners around making it easier for teams to build security and compliance into their pipelines. Uh, it's something that the the big enterprises I talk to they they care very deeply about. Uh, I think you're gonna you're gonna see a flurry of activity. Uh, at least in the tool space for building security into your pipeline over the next couple of years. What what does security mean? Is, is, is it a static code analysis? Is it um, vulnerability penetration testing? Is it you know open source libraries that you're using and their vulnerabilities? I think it's all of the above. Um, when I when I talk about it like a conferences and stuff, I break it down into into four areas. I say you need to 
You need to be considering security when you design your features and services. You need to be doing automated scanning stuff in your pipeline, you know, static code analysis, OSS scanners, uh, 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 you know, automated, auto, automated fuzz testing or OASP scanning, you know, build those scanners into your pipeline is a relatively cheap thing to do. So, uh, secure, security in your design, security in your pipeline. You need to have a whole bunch of good practices around securing your production infrastructure, right? Very granular permissions and secrets management and secret rotation and, and monitoring. Uh, and then you need to test it. You need to do penetration testing to make sure that all those practices are actually achieving the outcomes that you want. Yeah, security and designs. Like and that, that takes human to do it. Like threat. Like when I say that, I mean like like threat modeling or, or understanding right. the attack surface and reducing it. And that's the thing where the red team um, really influenced that. Uh, you can teach people how to do threat modeling all day long, and some will and some won't. But when you start showing them how their code got hacked, then they start caring a lot more and actually think about security when they're designing their stuff. So one last question for you, Dylan. A million years ago, you posted, you know, one project rules them all kind of post. Uh, that was in 2013. Yep. Does that guidance still apply? Is that still, and Mickey, same question to you. Is that guidance still applicable? Uh, I think it does. I, you know, I, I waffle a bit back and forth over the years, uh, but I still think I'm in the one team project camp. Um, mm-hmm. I think I learned that, uh, and, and in fact, Colin Dembowski, uh, an ALM MVP, he just posted a blog post uh, a month or so ago um, on the same topic. Right? So it's a, it's a more up-to-date uh, on it. And he's, he's given the same guidance. I think what we've learned is that there's going to be pain points uh, either way. There's just less of them in the one team project to rule them all. Or, or the pain points that you have are small things that can be worked around. Whereas if you have many team projects, the pain points are very hard to work around. So in general, I think it still stands. The the pain points with the one team project is you have kind of an explosion of of security groups and permissions and things that you need to manage. But I think over the last, you know, I wrote that in 2013. So over the last five years, I think TFS and VSTS have gotten better in in both aspects. I think if you have many team projects, there's now features that make your life nicer. Um, organizations cross team project queries. Uh, but also I think... Um, uh, if you have one team project, they've slowly introduced features that make make those pain points nicer too. You know, folders for builds and things like that. And, and you stole my thunder, Dylan, because I was completely going to reference Colin's post. I, I Colin has a great post on VSTS one team project, and and I think I still think based off of everything that that Colin put in this post, it's a long post. He put a lot of effort into it. That that's still the way to go. Yeah. Good. Good. Because again. Being selfish, because that's what I've been advising my people to do. And when we create our new VSTS project and start migrating to that, that's what I've been telling them. So yay, yay me. <laughs> it's all about you, Greg. <laughs> it always is. Come on now. Um, so Dylan, how can people get a hold of you? I'm Dylan underscore Smith on Twitter, Dylan.smith at Microsoft.com through email. So probably the two best ways. Cool. Cool. Well, I've got a couple news things that I want to make sure that we get to. Um, let me see. Da, 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 da. There is do one that's not really uh, development, but um, discovery.net or discover.net from uh, Dave Glick. It's a new .net focused aggregation kind of site and service. Uh, and I'll have links in the show notes. We'll have all the links to everything we talked about in the show notes on it. But I've subscribed to the feeds on this one. And this is actually pretty cool. They talk both about the daily discovery of, of different .net projects because, you know, .net's still exploding and, you know, .net sponsored and there's so many things that are happening on it. So that's here as well as there's another section for uh, blogs and posts that you can aggregate. So if you're trying to wrap your head around .net news, discover.net, 
is a great thing for you, man. I've subscribed to that day one and I get a great, a huge number of great bits of information from that. Uh, related to that, you know, .NET Kicks is still around. Kind of the same thing. You should, that's, .NET Kicks is another thing you should absolutely have. If you have to have two feeds that you're looking to get .NET and, you know, Microsoft Base News, .NET Kicks, and um, Discover.NET. Last item I want to talk about is a, we've, I believe we talked about VSTS gems before. This is a series of posts, uh, that get put out and these are the, you know, things that you may not see a lot. Well, uh, Rui Mello has one that's called preview features and I showed this to my team the other day and it helped us provide feedback back to Microsoft because they tried these new features and said, oh, this doesn't work like the old way it does. And I provided the feedback and found out that that's going to be coming and so on and so forth. So here's the deal. Um, on VSTS, go to your little profile, your little picture, and you'll see as the menu expands, there's preview features. These things allow you to opt in early to new features and capabilities of VSTS. VSTS does releases every three weeks. Every three weeks. They are on Sprint 135. Now, if every three weeks they were getting new features and they were changing the build status page, you know, just suddenly that happened. Um, they moved your cheese, your, your heads would explode. So what Microsoft has done is they use feature flags and they allow you to turn different things on. They get a preview of it early. You can do it both for yourself as well as organizationally if you have uh, those level of rights. Um, take a look at it because there's some cool things. Like right now, there's a new build status page that you can see and it truly gives you a much modern very pretty look on how the build status page um, will look permanently sometime down the road but you can opt into that uh, so I, and I'll links in the show notes here go ahead uh, I'll tell you Greg, we have a, we have a certain kind of workflow we go through with those flags so small features we don't give you a flag to turn it on and off we just eventually give it to you but if it's a feature that's that we think might be uh, a dis disrupting feature like the new work item form or the new build status page uh, what we typically do is we roll it out and the feature flag is off and you have to explicitly opt in if you want the cool new stuff um, and then at some point down the road we'll just flip it to on for everybody but you still have the ability to turn it off if you don't like it. And then we monitor how many people turn it off. And then eventually we just remove the flag and it's on for everybody. I noticed that because there is a new, um, when you're doing a release and you create a new release, there is a new button on there and you can see the release in the pipeline view. And I think that just got introduced in 135. So it's just a new button that showed up. And again, that gives you, you click on that and when you're in the middle of a release, you can see a pipeline focused view. You know, you create the releases, add the environments and stuff. You see that pipeline view. Now you can see as your deployments are happening, happening in that same kind of view. I showed that to a number of our people here and they're all like, oh, that looks pretty cool. It's a pretty sexy UI. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, hey, I have I have one more question for Dylan before we wrap up, which is I'm, I'm curious your opinion, Dylan, on what you think the future of ALM DevOps is. Yeah, well, uh, you have two minutes to answer. Two minutes. <laughs> nope, I'll do it in one. Um, I don't know if I can say what, what, what the, what the future is going to be, but I do have a feel for kind of where, where the, the hot topics, all the activity is going to happen, where I think it's going to happen. I think I've already mentioned one security and compliance. Uh, I also think con like containers and microservices, um, introduce a lot of DevOpsy complexity. And I think there's going to be some mm. rapid advancements in the tooling there, especially around managing containers and Kubernetes and all that stuff. The other really exciting area 
is as AI and machine learning uh, kind of take off, right? A lot of hype behind in that area. Um, and I think uh, how you do DevOps when you are creating a machine learning or AI solution um, is very different than when you're developing a web app. Uh, I also think the people doing that are very different. They're typically not developer backgrounds. They're data scientists, math people. Um, and I think there's going to be there's a big opportunity to get some, to, to understand what does DevOps mean when you're building a machine learning solution and how do you apply tools to that? And it's 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 very different. For example, they're working with big data sets that they're using to train the model. So those data sets being version control, right? They're not really generating very much code until the end. They're doing a lot of exploration of the data and experiments. How do you collaborate on that? What should go in source control there? Does the model that you generate is that is that source or is that like a build output? Good questions. Right? And a typical, you, you might say, well, it, it's a build output because I can regenerate it. But when we compile a web app, now that takes five minutes to build. To generate that model, that may take um, two computer years to build. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's going to be a really interesting space uh, where a lot of activity will happen. Excellent. Thank you. Do you see the uh, machine learning stuff coming into the build process, not as the output, but actually being applied to development? Maybe the scanners, maybe you know, static analysis. Well, I think there's already something they showed off at build. I can't remember what it's called, IntelliCode or something, uh, where it's like IntelliSense, but it uses like machine learning to guess yep. what you want, which was pretty cool. AI is cool. I just wish I was smart enough to <laughs> understand. Oh, but it's super easy to get started with machine learning. In fact, I got a talk that I gave at, at Tech Days Netherlands last fall on because I was just getting started with Azure Machine Learning. And you can get yourself up and running with Azure Machine Learning in 15 minutes. And for, even for people that don't know machine learning at all, it's you can really get started. There's a lot of good stuff to get you started with out there. But – to really truly use it. Oh yes, that's where you have to be one of these data scientists that Dylan's talking about. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm a dabbler. A- there's two aspects too. You can consume other people's models, like Azure Cognitive Services. I want to do facial recognition. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't need to know the math stuff to build a facial recognition model. Somebody's already built it, and I just consume it. And, and we, you can do that very easily. It's when you want to start to build your own models, it gets really, really complex and mathy. <laughs> mathy. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Well, gentlemen, I think we're coming to the show. There's a couple of feedback items that I want to give a shout out to. Martin, uh, I'm not going to give it. Desalong Chomps from Quebec, Canada, uh, sent us an email just yesterday. Actually, just this morning at 414 uh, a.m. Looking for the DevOps stickers. Uh, Martin, thank you for your email. I'll get those stickers out to you hopefully this weekend. We also had an email, another Martin from Germany uh, asking for the uh, letting us know that he likes the show and was looking for some stickers as well. If you listeners, if you guys would like some stickers, send me an email, radiotfs at outlook.com. Include your address and either I or Martin, Martin Widiono, will, uh, Widiono, how was that's a name from the past? <laughs> Martin Woodward, uh, will get those tickets out to you. So uh, gentlemen, I want to thank you again for coming on. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And ladies and gentlemen, if you want to send us some feedback, again, RadioTFS at Outlook.com. We're on Twitter, at RadioTFS. We're on Facebook as well, uh, slash RadioTFS. Voicemail, man. If you – actually, we got a lot of voicemail. And um, of all of, of the five voicemails we got, five of them were spam. One voicemail we did get, and I don't have the, the MP3 queued up. I apologize. I've always said if you send us – if you leave us voicemail that we played on the air. But from uh, Keith Cooper, we got your voicemail. Uh, he had just listened to episode 158, and he thought it was great. So, uh, Keith, 
Thank you for your voicemail. If you guys want to send us a voicemail, you guys, you individuals, you people, you humans, or other champions, voicemail number is 1425-233-8379. Don't worry about writing that down. Just come go to RadioTFS.com. The number is right there. And again, ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for listening to Radio TFS. Radio TFS.